This podcast contains explicit language and deals with confronting issues of mental health that may be triggering for some listeners. If you are having any problems, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Is the nature of art destructive? Is there a romance to heavy metal? And is anger addictive? We answer these questions and more on today's podcast, The Demons Within. Welcome back to the show. I have Luke with me today on The Demons Within. How are you going, my man? I'm doing well, my friend. How are you? Yeah, very, very good. Thank you. Now, I'm really keen to actually talk to you because you've got a new project out that was, as I understand, done within isolation called Growth. Is that right? Yeah, yes. So it was almost a little bit beyond that. Tristan had had been writing the album in more or less self-imposed isolation uh, well before 2020 was happening. And around the same time that he'd sort of completed that and was looking for people, I just left my previous band and was doing a bit of soul searching. And I was in a really, really sort of grim kind of place and was writing a lot like a different type of narrative to the kind of stuff I was usually writing for Jack the Stripper. And so we, we just sort of tooled our heads together and developed a story that I'd started writing from when I was in and out of you know, hospital and, and, and wards and whatever. And, you know, he, on the other side of things, he'd written this, this very jarring, uh, album that was, that was based entirely out of channeling his frustrations and, and, and sort of pains at, at not feeling connected, feeling separate to other people. When you say a lot of the writing was coming from the place that you were in at the time, can you tell us a little bit more about that place and how music worked to help you process and work through that? It was, it was at a point where I had, been given a diagnosis of a mental health diagnosis for the first time after years of trying to work through a lot of different things. And I didn't really know very much about the diagnosis. I didn't really know much about the, the pathology of it or anything like that. And so a lot of these things were sort of like you're trying to, to give voice to things that you're experiencing natively either for the first time or something that you're not sure that anyone else has ever really necessarily felt. And so you're you're addressing it from that sort of angle of, of trying to put a name to this 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 alien sort of shape that's that's taken form in, in your head or in your experience. Name it to tame it sort of situation. Yeah, absolutely. Which is which is you know, it's been recognised throughout history. That that's the best way to do it. You know, like uh, Rumpelstiltskin moving forward from that. It's 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 always been the way of like you name it, you identify it, and then you can gain some further control over it. So this album was very much around that experience of, of trying to piece things together in that vacuum of knowledge of not really having too much understanding around these things, not ever having much uh, conversation around these things. And then there was there were, there were subsequent life events that were sort of happening during that time as well. And because you know life carries on, it doesn't really uh, give a shit or stop for anyone. So what a confluence of a whole bunch of different things going into that album. So basically this one is trying to give voice to those feelings, try to describe whether it's chaotic or extreme or nightmarish or any other emotions that sort of come with that. So it's sort of describing those. Uh, I think the further releases we'll be doing will be sort of following where that takes us. So whether it's, uh, you know, is that a breakdown or is the breakthrough, the idea being that we're, we're trying to sort of illustrate the a more complete recovery process for people to be able to take a look at and, and sort of see and, and feel out for themselves about 
how they might be able to form language around their own recovery process. I like this idea of forming language around recovery. I think that that is a really important part. But one of the things that I picked up on and that you were talking about right then is you said these are things that we really don't have conversations about. Right. And this has been something that's come up in the podcast a number of times, this idea of a lack of support in the wider community and and in in sort of other areas, but even within the nuclear family or the families that we live in, even if they are mixed or whatever, it is still difficult for us to find a space where mental health or at least approaching mental health even exists. And when you say, you know, it is alien, you know, what to do with this alien thing. I think that's really telling as to how a lot of people feel when mental health sort of declines and and it strikes and there's problems. So I want to talk a little bit more about your experiences around heavy metal and how, you know, the sort of writing of it. I mean, is the process for you more of a purging process or is it just naming it and then becoming comfortable with the situation and, you know, making room in your life for this, you know, alien thing that's come in? Or is it a case of this is just a continual journey and I have to keep doing this like medicine? I found that with the the earlier writings, it was very much a purging process. It was very much a a pure catharsis in, in the very root sense of the word, like it was just being vomited out. Usually, like the process that would start with the purging, the vomiting of the words comes out, and then you you start to try and sort of create something more uh, more profound than that. Try to sort of take these and uh, craft them in a way that it can sort of draw other people into it and can get them to understand. The main function of it would be like you know I heard this quote from the folk singer Billy Bragg a, a few years ago about empathy being the currency of music. You know that, that's that's really stuck with me throughout this process because that's very much what the aim of it has been is been to foment and foster empathy and and very much in the heavy metal sense it's really suitable because it's very extreme music and if we're dealing with very extreme things particularly when we're thinking about the context that a lot of people haven't been given that language haven't been given that license to describe these things unless it is in from a place of extremity um, unless it is in a reactive form like a, like anger or an explosiveness these are the ways that we tend to be able to address these things in like a more tactful way strangely enough even though it's a way more antisocial and and, and damaging process both to ourselves and to the other people involved just sort of held as above simply describing these things and there's this grand irony with the heavy metal thing of it too because there's so many bands out there that are writing fantastic lyrics about you know resilience and recovery and even just being able to share these feelings and know that you're not alone in, in, in reading these words on the page like that that can be an incredibly healing thing for people but then when you listen to the interviews with them like yeah we want everyone to take themselves out you know blah 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 like nihilism and all that sort of edge to it which isn't necessarily true but it's 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 a really fun sort of ambivalent kind of area to to be talking about these things in. Yeah, one of the things that you said there really struck me. You were saying that there's a dangerous element in it, and I want to talk a little bit about that. I think there's a relationship you know, when we talk about this damaging part of heavy metal, this this sort of damaging. We're not just talking about physical damage. We're talking about sort of mental and and intellectual damage to an extent. And and you know you you're you're sort of hinting on this idea or implying this idea that you know it's not for everyone because we're talking about the extremes. And generally speaking, it's the people who have experienced these emotions that find some solace in heavy metal and you know and a sort of sense of understanding or at least. 
you know, the, these people know how I feel, so therefore I'm gra- I gravitate towards it. One of the issues that I've, I've seen with that is that, you know, if we, we can speak to it but not about it. And it's, it's very, very common in, well, amongst everyone, amongst all adults, you know, like we, we say it's a big problem amongst men in particular, but I can't think of you know, many people in my family or my history that have been able to speak about these things in a, in a candid way. So what you get a lot of is this is parallel talking, and that's been mistaken for, you know, actually trying to process these things and talk about it. You know, you get these, these moments where people's emotions have been pushed to the absolute limit. And they express it in this way, otherwise they'll can catch fire and die. So they're they're bringing forward like, here's my experience, and then someone goes, oh, okay, here's my experience, and they're just sort of like layering these ones on top of one another without actually getting the chance to be like, oh shit, you know, here's what can be taken away from this, here's what can be taken away from this, even if there is nothing to be taken away from these experiences, and it is just you know the chaotic face of the of the world showing itself to you, you still need to be able to observe that part of it too. We're just getting such a limited sort of thing of like, oh, that's brutal, that's brutal. <laughs> so really, really hoping to, to enrich the conversation a little bit more around this. Very much reminds me of the line from that Smashing Pumpkins song where he says, you know, I'm in love with my sadness. And the, the not just the inability to move on, but the, the lack of want, you know, the lack of want. You know, what happens if I do get better? Will, will I lose my edge? Will I be able to create? Will I be able to be the person I always was and well that, I, that I've sort of developed even though this is killing me you know even though this is this is a terrible thing for me I have this this trouble of letting go yeah, there's, there's so much romance around it it's and, and and we've been told by you know the Charles Buskowski's of the world and everything so find what you love and let it destroy you but there are a lot of aspects to that that I think keep people locked up in that phase and in, in, in that part of their life for one it's that, that anger is addictive it's also a painkiller it's a it's been shown to be an analgesic they did uh, studies where they got people to shove their hands in in ice water while they showed them you know different footage that might trigger certain emotions or you know feelings and the people who were being driven to anger or extreme sort of you know discomfort or rage they would keep their hands in buckets of ice water for much longer they weren't really feeling in that stage there is a very high value to feeling these and channeling these emotions and vindicate to you because it's like uh, when when I feel angry, I feel righteous. You know, anger is fueled by a level of certainty, and so you feel righteous. Then don't, you don't know where the certainty is coming from. It could just be that you're certain you're in a lot of pain. But there is that feeling there. With my experience with my last band, I found myself very much in that phase of rather than like trying to process the current things that were happening in life at the time, was instead leaning back on these lyrics, which were from events from you know seven years prior whatever so you get you get stuck on these and you do expose yourself to you know becoming a a gimmick (laughs) at at, at the very risk of it because there is a reductive element to it too people want to see a certain thing from you you know they they didn't pay 15 20 bucks to come in and hang out with you and talk about you know the new fence you're looking at painting in your front yard or whatever they they came there to see the the face of you that this part of the many parts of you they came to see your shadow take over you and just give them like a a, a ripper kind of performance where, where you can look possessed and where you can like, look like there's there's something you're attached to something bigger than you and that's what they're sort of there for so you do get sort of stuck in that you know i want to see the blood i want to see the broken glass i want to see the guts it's like okay but um, uh, maybe maybe i don't feel like that today but all right you know you start just rolling it out 
over time. So you get stuck in that, and it's it's very unfortunate because then you get burnout within the one very thing that that you were looking to use to connect with other people is now being just squeezed out of you. Yeah, for sure. Particularly grief. Grief is a really interesting one, particularly in heavy metal, because I don't think you see it very often because I think it's seen as more of a... Well, I mean, I'd love to know your experience in it, but what I've listened to and what I've researched and looked at, I don't see grief as an emotion we sort of talk about. We talk about the fringes of grief. We don't talk about grief directly. And I think this is because, I mean, of a few... I would like to say that they're lies, if I can be candid about it. I think I think there's a few lies that we tell ourselves about grief. We, we tell ourselves the first thing that there's an end point. At some stage, you will stop grieving, which when you look at the writings and you look at what people t- will say about grief, I don't know that we ever truly... When we, when we lose someone who is very important to us, I don't know that we ever truly get to a stage of, I'm completely okay with that now, because it does still suck that that person's gone. You just make room for it. You know what I mean? You make room in your life for this discomfort. So, and I think the, the other thing about it is, is that it's almost a softer emotion or a weak emotion. You know what I mean? Like if you're showing grief, then this is, this is a weak place to be. So we, we don't, you know, in all of our exploration in heavy metal, when we talk about vulnerability, it's one of the things that we don't tend to really touch on. And I think that's a travesty because I think, and, and I think it does feed into societal expectations around grief. Okay, you went to the funeral, you've been to the wake, it's been a year right? Get over it. You know, that's the message we tend to give each other, but it's been a year. Come on. How how long are you going to go through this? And, you know, there's just no end point to it, I think. A lot of heavier music and, and anything pertaining to horror, whether it's written music or visual, I, I'm strongly of the belief that anything pertaining to horror is showing us what we're scared of and how to process grief. Those two things, that, that's what I largely focus on. And so with that, you do see music and heavy music, like it changes form and changes shape over different cultures, depending on how they tend to handle grief and how their culture processes it. For example, example you see like in japan you see a lot more rawness of emotion at shows people will seem a lot more at will to sort of present those kind of vulnerabilities a bit more because things are just handled differently over their grief in particular so you know i've seen shows over there where you know there's been bands from melbourne they've been playing like sunder have been playing up in tokyo and, and people have started weeping openly while they're playing and you no, know, you absolutely don't see that kind of candor here necessarily but I think it's still processing grief. It's just that we come from that very rugged, extremely traumatized Anzac background where, you know, weakness was, any perceived weakness was absolutely shunned. And so instead of looking at the sad, wounded little beast of grief and being able to sort of process that and nurture that and bring it back to that functional sense, because as you say, it's, it's not about ending it it's about making room for it it's not about feeling good it's about feeling instead of looking at that poor little creature and seeing what we could do to help it we're we're instead you know putting it up against a wall and shining a torch on it and then marveling at the shadow it's casting you know it's like yeah look at that that's scary looking yeah cool instead of really just being like holy shit this is, this is a really really painful part of me and if i don't learn how to sublimate it into my world if i don't learn how to, to envelop myself around it in a healthy way then it's going to keep coming out in these really nasty ways and that shit only just makes you lonelier 
and make things harder. Mm, definitely. You know, in a world where the expectation is to be strong and not to show vulnerability, being vulnerable is real courage and real strength. This person has, has come up in conversations many, many times. And I think when we talk about him, it's a source for the heavy metal community but Chester Bennington has been one that that everyone sort of mentioned because and and I think the reports about Chester when they came out and the conversation that was around him it was almost like oh we didn't know we didn't know and the heavy metal community turned around and said everyone knew not only did he say these things in his songs and it got worse hybrid theory is tame in comparison to the last efforts that he was releasing, they were really, and quite bone-chilling lyrics, you know, when he's screaming things like, put me out of my misery, you know, these sorts of things. Like, that didn't that didn't come out in hybrid theory, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't that candid about it. It's quite a telling space because I think we struggle to really accept the fact that not only did he say it very clearly in his music, he was not, you know, ambiguous about it. He said it very clearly. He was saying it in interviews. He was saying it to people on the street he was pointing to his head and saying this is not a good space for me you know and and i don't know i could be wrong i'd love to know your perspective on this i think the reason why so many people are struggling around chester's suicide is that despite all of the reaching out and all of the conversations and all of the things that he did it still happened we knew it was going to be on the cards but he put himself out there and for, for whatever reason, you know, suicide was still the best option for him for the pain to stop rather than getting help, even though that was the conversation he was having. What are your thoughts about that space and people who are potentially in a similar position who reach out and don't get what they expect? There's a lot to that. On one hand, the expectations do need to be sort of addressed in and of themselves. There is a lot of inner work that people need to do, prim- like mostly around expectations. And that's regardless of suicidality or anything, like relationships, accomplishments throughout life. A lot of this does have to do with expectations. And expectations move like rust. They creep up in your sleep and the, the standard gets raised and things become what was nebulous and uncertain becomes concrete because nature hates a vacuum and so we fill it with expectations and so it's very very difficult because it's like on one level it's such a mutual thing but it's also such an individual thing of when you're reaching out having expectations to a certain like beyond a certain level is, is very dangerous because what you are hoping for is for people to be able to take things away there is only a limited amount that can be taken away and let me tell you from experience the more things are taken away the more your freedoms are taken away too so i know that that's something that a lot of people like fuck my freedom i don't give a shit about that i care about you know living till next tuesday so okay well in that case absolutely you can you can get put under acts and you can get put under under certain forms of care does it transport you into a surreal world of people screaming all through the night and you know rattling chains and code grays and that kind of thing yes yes it does it puts you in that world so you need to be prepared to accept that like i said there's so much romance around tragedy and when people write about these things and it does strike that chord with so many people lyrically such as with chester's I mean, from my December onwards, you know, he was um, capturing a lot of people's emotions with what he was saying. But again, that romance put him 
on a pedestal. Like it, it put him above what he was capable of, and it put our expectations of him above what he was capable of too. We expected him to roll up, um, you know, bring the Argo, roll up to load in, and be there and do the thing. He could only do a limited amount. So we're resting on him to, you know, this new album. Oh, he's going to say something about this. Well, whatever he was hoping to get from it, the success wasn't it. So it definitely does speak to something deeper than that. And so there's a limit to music. And this is something that I've, I think we all learn in very painful ways throughout our lives is on one hand, there's a limit to music and there's also a limit to what we can do for others and what we can expect from others. I mean, suicide is a very, very, very personal thing. And when you're in it, when, when you're in those stages of it where you think that's the only way out, it goes beyond other people. Like you cannot really be considering other people in that. And if you are considering other people in that, it's usually in the context of this will make things easier for them. Whereas it's very much about when people feel like it's the only way to get any sense of control over their life back, that's often when they'll turn to suicidality. And uh, the dozens of suicide interventions that I've done through work in the last couple of years, main feeling, especially with young people, is like it's, it's not that they want to die. It's not that they want to go through that whole process because it's awful it's painful it, it fucking hurt and it's not to be I'm, I'm not opening wounds on listeners by talking about that sort of level because it is thoroughly painful like there's nothing sylvia plath romantic about it you know like so for people to be taking themselves into that space it feels like yeah the only option that they have left the only option they have of taking some control over their lives and taking their life back and that's what a lot of people like that i've spoken to have been feeling it's like a, it's not that i want to end it's not that i want to take myself away from the people i care about it's that I can't handle this level of pain anymore. It can be manifesting in all kinds of ways that they're not even necessarily aware of. Like these things somaticize really, really heavily. So, you know, you've got all these problems with your guts. You've got all these problems with your body. Like you're sore all the time. These things randomly start breaking down from what's happening to you. And so they really do feel that there's no other way. I've heard it described as it's the exit light on a building when we're, when we're considering these suicidality, it's like the green exit light on a, on a big building. And you're only going to take that way if the building's on fire or if you feel like the building's on fire. It's a really interesting uh, space when it comes to that because I think, you know, when we talk about options, and this is, this is where you're sort of coming from, is that the feeling that there is no, no other way. There's, no, there's no, nothing else that we can do. This is the only option that is left for me. So therefore, I have to. I have to take it. It's not even a case of you know this is a decision that I get to make. It's like this. This is what has to be done. And you know, I, I think of times leading up to that moment, and I think of burnout in particular. So to circle that back once again to the heavy middle point that you made before, and I feel like this is sort of getting to that natural close in this section. But you know, I, I just wanted your commentary. You were you were talking about whether heavy metal was actually oh, i don't know you didn't really say that it, whether it was helpful or not but you were saying you know this process of writing and the process of performing and all that is is all this sort of healthy sort of part but it starts to move into show business you know and it starts to move into performance base and and whatnot and it made me think of comedians that we've had within our lives and those who have committed suicide and, and you know done some of those horrific things other comedians who have outwardly said you know I, i'm actually 
I'm feeling terrible, you know, and this is why I am a comedian. We're okay to laugh about it. But, and I think metal does this a little bit too, you know, it, particularly when you look at some grindcore and things like that, it kind of moves towards goofiness and away from, you know, these are true emotions or these are true feelings or whatever. It's like, oh, we did, you know, it's just, it's just a story. It's no different from a horror movie, you know, it's, it's just a story or whatever. Yeah. Well, there's, there's always like a sense of humor in that catharsis, really, isn't it? And like, I think that especially heavy metal is very much like, I consider it, like I've said before, I consider it a language. It's why many different languages that we're using to communicate. The heavy metal language is about catharsis, which is why we fill it with vomit noises. And we, we're all, you know, around that. Uh, everyone's cool with the vomit noises. And, and comedians too, like the people that we're describing, Chester Bennington, Hannah Gadsby, uh, Robin Williams, or like the, the big names that we sort of see in these fields that either, you know, destroy themselves or, or are reborn. A lot of it comes down to, I mean, how, how much value they're putting in themselves and how much value they're, they'd be putting into the, the, the craft that they're bringing forward. And we can see, I'm, I'm certain if, if we take like a forensic look at some of the, at some of the, the, the people who are no longer with us, we can see a point where the drive to channel these things has overtaken the drive to be yourself. And you can feel it yourself too there's often like there's got to be something there if we're speaking to trauma and a lot of the time we're speaking to trauma with music whether it's Ben Folds or whether it's Cannibal Corpse you know whether it's a a broken relationship or a, a caravan park full of zombies we're speaking to trauma and the thing with trauma is that a lot of rules with it. It's, it's spoken about a lot by psychologists like Bessel van der Kolk and Les Carter. They speak to this fact that trauma brings rules. These rules have been forced upon you by the circumstances or they've been like they just work, work their way into your life as a way of processing those circumstances. It can start off as simple as, oh, can't walk there anymore or, oh, man, I'm not going to ask that from that person again. But they can be far more profound and far more damaging to you some of these rules can be you know no one will save this if this happens again you know it could be i can scream and nothing will happen those are the feelings and the rules that you learn about the universe and about your experience in the universe that, that brings forth that you know that can make that pretty metal voice and a lot of that, that comes from that pure despair and fluency of that despair. You've just you've you've brought it out that much that now your body just knows how to how to express it. But if we're speaking to the rules without acknowledging them with our lyrics, and we're speaking to I guess like the the these certainties that are fueling the rage with it too. So with, with Chester Bennington, it's you know I can't take this anymore. I cannot live like this. You know these kind of things. You're repeating them. And you're repeating them and repeating them. And those guys would have been playing like, you know, they weren't the heaviest touring bands. I'm pretty sure they went on tour in 2001 and stopped in 2018. You know, they just didn't stop. They, they wrote their albums on the bus. Like I remember documentaries as a little tacker about Meteora where, um, you know, you find out that they wrote that entire album while they were on tour in between shows. And then even the samples, like the samples are of them breaking equipment in the bus that didn't work anymore. Like those guys became their music. And I think that's the bit that I'm sort of, obtusely warning about here is that you if you become your music there's a romance to it and there's an attraction to it because to feel like you're becoming your music and that there's not much else to you feels like you're being hooked into something that is is like a stream of consciousness that has always been there and and will be there for as long as people are so you feel like something greater to yourself it's a just kind of feeling and oh man I'm, i'm i'm hooked in but 
by by rolling out these songs constantly without actually processing the things that are behind them and by describing these these lyrics and channeling these rules essentially they're consolidating they're, they're solidifying what once was sort of cobwebbed and concrete and it's how thoughts manifest it's actually sort of following that same pathology of how thoughts um, strengthen when they manifest is if they're trotted out over and over again um, the same cognitive pathways happen um, the brain follows that same pathway the brain likes to do things economically so if it knows that you know a thought links to a certain thought links to a certain thought then it's like okay i'm gonna throw that out there and uh if they handle it well then i'll give them some endorphins and if they don't then i'll uh you know I think that's a really interesting warning when it comes to musicians. Most metalheads that I know are also musicians. You know, it's it's kind of we we understand the the sort of purge of it all, but also perhaps don't speak about that all-consuming part of that and the validity the validity that comes with it too somebody said i was fantastic somebody said i was i was good you know you you sort of you you wear that as a bit of armor you know said i was good so therefore you know well that's what got us all into that in the first place that's that's what got me into it in the first place is like you can be describing these things that that make you feel separate from others and they connect you to one you can you can spend half an hour screaming and mutilating yourself about you know, all these, these awful, awful things, how we survive, which was what uh, the previous band was about. And you come out the other end of that. And yeah, like you said, there are people like, that was great. You know, that was fantastic. That made my night. You know, that was the best thing. Um, and, and sometimes you get the, <laughs> I mean, I've had, I've had other times that are a lot weirder than that, where there have been people coming up after shows and being like, once we just played this show, it was a very, very, I was having a pretty shit time. I was just sitting by myself afterwards in the corner <laughs> of the venue, like a little, little goth that I am being in a bad mood and, and, and this couple came up to me and they're like that was a great show we're gonna fucking listen to your album and think about the show and I'm like well shit <laughs> that's pretty good definitely not what I was intending but uh, can, can get around it yeah cool you know I really do feel that experience and, but uh, it's it's a misunderstood area I think I think it's 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 one part that we don't address and we don't sort of understand space is required you know, space is required for, for these sorts of performances. Yeah, if you're a vocalist in particular, like, you know, I have thorough respect for every instrumentalist. If you're a vocalist or you're a percussionist, you're, you, you are a bit more of your instrument. You're relying a lot more on your own body. With that, the expectations of you shift. Look, I think there's a lot of points here that we've sort of touched on, a lot of really, really big ideas. I recommend anyone listening to this, maybe you want to hear it a few times because I think so. a lot of the things that Luke has hit on, I mean, they could make entire podcasts by themselves. So I want to say thank you so much for coming in today and thank you for being so candid about a lot of your experiences and how these things have sort of worked. And look, massive congratulations on Growth's uh, album and the, and the release that's coming up. I'm, I'm super keen to hear it and I'm, I'm really stoked that you were able to make time for this today. So thank you. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to having it out there and seeing what, uh, seeing what people think. If this podcast has been triggering for you in any way, please seek help by calling Lifeline on 13 11 14.